0: Would you stand with me, please? Today, Lord, we lift up the fire victims, those who are still being evacuated. We Pray for my brother-in-law, Mark, and we are praying for those that we know as well as those that we don't know, those that are in shelters. All of the help that is poured in, we thank you for that. Now we also pray that when all of the the emotions and everything begins to die down, that we as a body of Christ will look to see what can we do to help sustain people individually and just to be helpful on a longer term basis. We know that oftentimes help may pour in, but we often know that after some time things can be forgotten. Help us to remember that Lord, it could be This entire body. We lift up Santa Rosa Rosa Baptist, many members having lost their homes. We're praying for the congregation there, the saints, the people of God, those that are still ministering to those that have lost things. Help us to keep in mind that we show our love for God by loving people, being supportive and helping them through the difficulties. We pray today that you will help us as we hear the word of God, that you will be with us. We pray for traveling mercy as we travel to Stockton today. Pray for Pastor Warren, the anniversary those that will be driving in from various places. Pray for the minister speaking this afternoon. We do love you and give you the glory. Now give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated Today, Sister Carolyn Anderson will be the speaker for this afternoon's service. She has accepted her call into the ministry. And Sister Carolyn, who is a tremendous musician, will be the speaker at the service. Today, I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 28. And we are continuing with part two of the message, The Hypocrites. Actors on stage. The hypocrites, actors on stage. Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. They are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. And all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A passage that I did not give Anisha, but I'm going to read for you. In fact, a couple. I'm going to read Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. And Micah chapter 6 verse 8, Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, and I, because of the time, I'm just going to read it while you still may be finding it, says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That was Hosea six six, Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has it says told you in the King James I believe it says he has showed the old man what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The hypocrites, actors. On stage, part two. (laughs) Giving can never replace righteous actions. Giving of money can never replace righteous actions. There can never be a trade-off of giving in lieu of doing that which is right. There are many people in society today who would have you to focus on what they Give rather than on the lifestyle that they live. You cannot buy God off. He's not for sale. He cannot be bribed. While it is true that our giving can often show our attitude and our true attitude of what we feel and think about God, giving cannot be the measuring stick of one's true inner conviction. However, to depart with that which is dear to one can often show the intent and content of the heart. People have a hard time giving up or away their finances. It often can reveal what's truly in the heart, but it cannot be the sole measuring stick. Tithing, as outlined in the Old Testament, was given on what the land produced as well as from what in regards to cattle and herds. From the tithe, the free will offering, and other types of offering, the giving that the Israelites often gave, it amounted to at least 22 and a third percent of what they earned or had. Can you imagine giving 22 and a third of all that you have and received of your income and land. Has all the things can you imagine? And yet people struggle with 10%. It is often taught that the tithe in the Old Testament was simply an obligation and simply under the law. That view is not completely correct, even though there is truth, and correct. it is correct, but there is Something I need you to focus on. The correct view of the tithe is that it taught the people that everything they had came from God and it was to be given, given with the understanding that God is to be honored with the first of everything. And in this way, it would be clearly understood that one knew where their blessings came from. It was often stated that when one gave an offering in a tithe, In the Old Testament, it was to help them to remember that God was the one behind what they had received. And they were to give it with the understanding that I don't have anything of myself, but it all comes from God. And my giving is reflected with the understanding that I am blessed and give because God has blessed me. The tithe was given to support the Levites and the priest in the service of the temple. The tithe, though, does not start in the law or the given. It starts back in Genesis when Abraham, before the law had even been given, gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. The tithe was brought to the Levites who were accompanied by the priests who oversaw the process, and then the Levites gave a tithe of the tithe to The priest. The word tithe simply means 10%. That's what the word means. Tithe means 10%. In the New Testament, you don't hear much about tithing because it is with the understanding that the Jewish people automatically already knew the tithe belonged to the Lord. That is not the problem they had. But the New Testament raises the standard so that when one gives, one is to give from the bottom of the heart, understanding that we don't come thinking of the minimum, but how do I give my best? Because God has given me his best through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when one gives, they don't think of the tithe so much, but how can I give my best? Now the tithe is a good place to start but it should not be the end point of what you are looking to give but it should simply be what is a good starting point for me the religious leaders that Jesus is addressing were so wrapped up in show and tell that they loved ritual rather than god and loved more money more than righteousness and justice Uh, Point number one, I want you to consider majoring on the minor while swallowing the camel. Majoring on the minor while swallowing the camel. The rabbis in their traditions had gone to great extremes and great lengths to carry out meticulously details of certain aspects of the law while neglecting that which was most important, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They went to great extents to make sure that they followed those minutia of the law. And in chapter twenty-three of Matthew, verse twenty-three, the Lord picks up again with the matter of saying, "Woe you, you hypocrites!" He, he says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees!" Now, between verses sixteen and twenty-two, you recall that he called them blind guides, and called them blind. and But he now picks up again with the fourth woe, saying, Woe to you, as the scribes and the Pharisees were giving you tithe on your mint, your dill, and your cumin. The Lord says that you're tithing here, but you have neglected the more weightier things, the heavier things. They thought that the tithe and carrying that out was the most important. You see, when people are involved and interested only in ritual, they often miss the important things of life. When a person is looking to see how you're going to blow it, they're oftentimes missing the bigger picture in life. The items mentioned in verse 23 were basically spices. They were the small things, spices that one They were tithing on the spices. And Jesus rebukes them because they were neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness to God's word. It was being overrun by their teaching. And in fact, it is believed that the tithing of the mint. The dill and the cumin, these spices, it is believed that it came from their or this part, from their oral tradition. Now we know in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, it lays out certain things. See, when it comes to the tithe, it is in various places in the Old Testament. It just doesn't appear in one place so that one can just read, oh, this is where it talks about it. No, it mentions, mentions it in various areas. But the religious leaders oftentimes in their oral tradition, as we mentioned the missioner last week, they would, they would give and they would tithe and they would make a tradition of the tradition. But they would not pay any attention to the hypocrisy of their own lives. We often today want people to look at what we do externally, but we often don't want them to pay attention to the horrible deeds that we want to be swept under the rug and the carpet. We want to continue to do our things while commanding people to do those things that are not so important. Hide my stuff, but I'm going to impose these things on you. The religious leaders felt that the important matters outlining God's word were no big thing at all. Oh, the temple. Who cares about the temple? Oh, justice and mercy. Who cares about justice? You need to follow our tradition. But their tradition on the small things were not to be overrun. They were not to overrun God's word. So they, they majored on the small details and minored on those things that were most important. Do you know anybody today that majors on the minors and minor on the majors? When I was playing baseball with the Seals years ago, when I was a little boy, I mean before the Seals, the majors, I played in the minors. I played on the Braves. But my Braves were good. They weren't losers. They were good. <laughs> I played in the minors. So the minors were those teams that were younger and didn't quite have the skill set as the next division up. But our goal was to get to the majors. So I played for the Braves and was was playing. And, and I, I, I'm going I'm to say this. You see, there were four teams in the majors when I was growing up. There were the Oaks, there were the Seals, the Stars, and the Giants. And the Seals were coached by Connie Knutson. The the Oaks were was coached by by Spot Times. The Stars by Buster Grayson. And at that time, the Giants were were coached by Johnny Griffin. Not Johnny, but Ollie Griffin. Some of y'all don't know that Ollie was a coach of the Giants. He was my next door neighbor. The Giants always came in last place. It was just a tradition. It was always the Oaks, the Seals, the Stars, and the Giants. One day Ali said, I'm gonna be coaching and, and, and I want you to be on my team. I thought, oh no. But being a nice young man, oh, okay, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to play for the Giants. I don't want to play for them. I didn't look to be in the majors to play on the Giants. I didn't want to have my career in with the Giants. So I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? How can I get out of this? So they're practicing. I go to the practice, and my heart really is not in it. I, played, I learned to play baseball right on my street. Since Chuck can tell you, we played right down 23 Park Circle. That's where I learned to hit and everything, catch all the above. So we're out there practicing. It came the day of the draft. Oh, yeah, they had a draft. They had a draft in Little League. And the coaches would then select the players that they wanted. Lo and behold, the coaches started, and this is told to me later how it happened Johnny, not Johnny, but Ollie picked one player first. And I heard that Connie Knutson jumped up and said, I choose Marky Small as his first pick. I was so glad that I got chosen for the Seals. It was Connie who told me what happened. He says, you are my first round draft pick. I jumped up when everybody stepped over and said, Market small. He must have saw some potential there. My heart was relieved. My major career with the SEALs at the age of what eleven or so started and ended with him. I was indeed glad and happy. Through my entire year, we came in second place. And through my entire year, the Giants came in last. (laughs) We have to learn to minor on those things that are minor and major on on the major things. God wants us to pay attention to those things that are important. That was just a little side thing for y'all. Y'all know that right, right. Okay, all right. But minors and majors, minors and majors. And so, and so God said to the religious leaders that you are, are not paying attention to those things that are most important. And, and, and you are, are tithing on these things, but they are small. They are, you've got to be so meticulous. But then the Lord says in verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat, and swallowing a camel. And that's what's common in wines and standing water at this time. Those that would drink wine, uh, we need to, well, let, me, let me say it this way. When you look at the laws that, that God gave the Israelites, there were certain dietary restrictions that they had. They couldn't eat everything at that time. There came a time later when that was lifted. But they couldn't eat anything that swarmed, gnats, and they couldn't eat camels. Why? Because they were considered to be food that was unclean. So the Israelites paid very close attention what they ate so they would not be unclean and so that they would not have to deal with some of the restrictions and being placed outside the camp. And so they would go through these various things, so they watched. So when the Lord mentions this to the, to the religious leaders, he said, you strain out a gnat, but yet you swallow the camel. When it came time for them to drink, they would get a piece of cloth and they would drain or strain the wine or the water through this cloth in order to not have the gnats in their drink. And so the liquid would go through, trapping the gnats that would oftentimes be there and gathered. So when the Lord said that you strain out, it was a very meticulous process that they would go through in order to not swallow a very, very small gnat. Then the Lord said, but you swallow... The camel. Now, the camel was the largest land animal in Jerusalem. And so he uses a literal example followed by an exaggerated example. So he takes a literal and a figurative example to say, this is what you are doing. What's the important thing here? Because when you think about swallowing a camel, how in the world can a person swallow a camel? It would be very hard because you would have to eat it bite by bite. You see, they didn't consider and recognize that the small things that they were doing really was no big thing. The thing that they should have been paying attention to, they were neglecting those things. But doing all these little small things that really took a lot of effort. While it may have been important, it would be more important to pay attention and do those things that were bigger. So they would strain out of that, and yet... They wouldn't provide justice. They wouldn't provide mercy. They would rob and steal. They would be lawless. And somehow they thought and felt that they would be okay with God. So the Lord says you strain out of net. You go through this process. But in the meantime, in what you're doing, you're swallowing the camel. And the names in the Greek are very similar. It's really a play on words that the Lord is. actually doing and giving at this particular time. The Israelites, the rabbis, the scribes, Pharisees, these religious leaders were so meticulous but when it came to listening and doing God's will they said we would rather give more adherence to our oral traditions than following the word of the almighty God. The fifth woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. When we consider rituals and consider The fact that the religious leaders would go to great extent and devise rituals to clean pots and pans, to clean dishes, to wash them in a certain way. What's the issue? If you are only polishing and washing the outside of the cup, but not dealing with dealing with what's on the inside, you're gonna be contaminated. You see, the religious leaders were so busy trying to look good on the outside that they really paid no attention to that which was on the inside. (laughs) All of the examples that the Lord used were depictions of what these individuals were doing. You see, if you went to a restaurant and you had a dirty glass, you would say, "Uh, this glass is dirty, may I please... Have another glass, a clean one. When they brought you that next glass, you would inspect it probably more than you did the first one too big. Be sure that it was clean. If you lifted up that glass and it was a little greasy, said this glass is dirty too. I want a clean glass, and then you would inspect that third glass even more. I can see you looking in the restaurant, looking on the inside of the glass, saying, What's on this glass? What's on the inside of this glass? You'll be watching very, very carefully. The religious leaders were very busy cleaning the outside of a cup. You see, I worked at a restaurant once. I worked at Houlihan's. And it was my job to make sure that the dishes were clean so that you all that went in there weren't eating from you know, silverware that was just put in the back and put right back out there on the table. It was my job to make sure that they were clean. So we would take some solution. People bring in the forks and the knives and the spoons, and we had these different little containers set up, and we would put them in the solution until they were ready to be washed to help with the cleaning process. Then we take them and rinse them, and we put them in these containers and send them through some very hot, soapy water. That went through this cycle and it came out on the other end. It was my job not to stop the machine halfway through, even though sometimes the waitresses and waiters wanted me to. Say, we need the dishes. We need them. It ain't ready yet. Come back. So they had to go through the cycle. When it got to the other end, they would take those silverware that was clean and put them back out there. Now, what would it be like if they took the silverware and they brought them back? I took a little, I squirted one of them and put all the rest back out, there. here they are, go and put them on the table. Y'all wouldn't like that. People wouldn't like that. They wouldn't be clean. It was my job to make sure they were clean. Well, the religious leaders, what they would do, they would take their dishes and they would meticulously wash the outside. But remember this, the Lord is dealing with that which is spiritual. See, they they weren't so important, they weren't so much considering what was most important. You see, if you only polish the outside, but don't deal with the inside, eventually the inside is going to show on the outside. The Lord says, you blind guys, clean the inside first. You're already cleaning the outside, but you need to deal with the inside. What's on the inside? There was greed and there was lawlessness. You see, if you've got righteousness on the inside, eventually that's going to start to come forth. It's going to show on the outside eventually. We need to deal with that which is most important in our lives on the inside. Stop trying to get people clean before they're saved. There are some people where they come to church, they haven't maybe been to church. Take off that hat some guy. Cut off, you in church. That person might have just thought for the first time he said to himself, I'm never going to church again. And years later he said, I'm going to give it one try. And somebody walks up to him and snatches his hat off or somebody's sitting in your favorite seat and you don't know that that person may have just, may have had the hardest week of their life. Took every ounce for them to get to church. Somebody coming, you in my seat, you need to move. They're a visitor. Those things We would call small things. We need to look at the bigger picture. How can I help this individual? Churches can be very notorious by focusing on those things that are minutiae rather than the larger issues. How does this person need to see Christ? You're looking for the, the end goal. Not so much what they look like right now. What are you trying for? God, we want them to be saved. We want them to be able to see Christ. And there are some people who will never go to church again because they were told to remove an item that had nothing to do with salvation. They were told to move. They weren't spoken to. Whatever the case might be, we need to look at what the Lord says. We need to clean the inside. The religious leaders were converting and making individuals twice as, a son of hell, as they were, by teaching them the oral traditions and not following the Lord. I've got to quickly get through here because my time is just about up. Then the Lord says to them, "Woe to you, scribes! The sixth woe, and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you." Also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Once a year, the month of Adar, the month before Passover, it was common for the tombs to be washed, to be cleaned with, cleaned with lime. Because individuals, and I didn't get a chance to read another passage I was going to read, but individuals going to the Passover... If they came in contact with a dead body or something that was unclean, they would be unclean for seven days. And so it was a way a month before the Passover of whitewashing these tombs so that they would be most conspicuous so that people would know to stay aware to avoid them, so they wouldn't accidentally touch them. And so you see these beautiful tombs that had been cleansed and whitewashed so that people could make sure that they didn't actually go by them. Now, some people think that some commentators believe that it was only done for the purpose of making them beautiful. But no, that's not the only reason. It was to make sure they were identified because sometimes cemeteries or graves were not all in one place. They could be various places and they were not always maintained. So you might have actually walked up on a grave and not knew it. And so they would whitewash these tombs. And and so the Lord says to them, "You you whitewash these tombs. They look beautiful." but what is a graveyard there for? On the inside, what's there? Steal those that are dead. And so they cleaned the outside, but they did nothing to deal with the inside. One of the passages says, what were they doing? Well, they were stealing widows' homes. When they could not make the payment, they would go and take their homes and and this is what my, this is what one of the gospel says. And they would they would they would they would take the homes of the widows, and they would put these excessive burdens on the individuals that they knew they could not follow. They were practicing deceit and lawlessness. This was what was on the inside. This is described as those things that were inside the tombs. Those things that destroy. Man, you better be, you better be sure. They were, they were glad when Jesus was off the scene when he went to the cross. This man had got them upset. How can we get rid of Jesus? Jesus is on the way to the cross, and he is not backing down. He is letting them know exactly what the issue is that they're dealing with. So we need to understand that when the Lord brings this up, he says that you look good. But you're dead on the inside. You appear righteous to others. But within you, there is hypocrisy and there is lawlessness. There is no good thing that God really had to say to them about what they were doing. Now, let me go back as I close this in the next minute. When they were even given of the tithe of their mint, dealing cumin, when they were even given that, the Lord said, Now, you should have done that without neglecting the weightier things. You should have paid more attention to that which is weightier than, and not necessarily neglect that. That's fine to do. If you want to do that, that's fine. But the more important things. But they were not doing the more important things. And you've got to take an evaluation of your life. Are you doing that which is most important? Are you doing that which only appears to look good on the outside, but behind the veil, there's the real you. Eventually, it will come out. People will eventually see what's there. So they were big actors on a stage. And the Lord is the one who is exposing them. You see, when the Lord exposes you, you are exposed. (laughs) You are exposed when the Lord exposes you. Let me say this in conclusion. You don't want to be a hypocrite that's acting a part on a stage. But you want to be one that is showing mercy and faithfulness and gentleness. You're doing those things that has a change taking place on the outside so that when the Lord has done the work, it will exude from the inside out. Don't worry about trying to get it all cleaned up before you come to the Lord. He'll take care of that. Your job is simply to come and allow him to do the cleansing. It's not a good thing just to make the outside look good and neglect truth, mercy, and faithfulness. Is there anything in your life that you've been actually trying to prop up and make look good, but you're not dealing with the core issue on the inside? Have you been trying to advertise something that's false in your life by an action? on the outside? Have you been doing anything that basically shows just the outer limits but the inside is in turmoil? Today is your chance to basically get it right. It says, Lord, I want to reverse the process. I want to pay attention more so to those things that are right. I, I want to pay attention to those things that deal with With mercy and truthfulness and faithfulness to God. and Helping and loving people. That's what I want to make sure that I'm doing. And not simply putting on an act. It's a bad thing when we put on an act. Only to be seen by those on the outside. But the Lord is the one that's going to be exposing. So I encourage you today. Make the change on the inside. Allow the Lord to make the change on the inside of your life. Would you stand with me, please, as we conclude? Today, Lord, we have prayerfully heard the word of God. It is our desire that we will practice mercy, compassion, love, justice, truthfulness. We will Practice and do those things that allows the word of God to be seen in our lives by what we do. May there not be just this outward appearance of righteousness, but on the inside is hypocrisy and lawlessness. There's no reason to play games with our lives when this is the only life that we have, the only life that you have given having the great and the glorious God who wants to do the work in us, may we not resist you. So today we pray that you will help us to not swallow the camel while straining out a gnat. Help us to pay attention to those things that are most important. Help us to not, to not whitewash the tombs when there's hypocrisy and lawlessness on the inside. Help us to have the will of God change us from the inside out so that what shines through and through is the glory of the almighty God. We give you name all the glory and the power.